Good morning. Welcome to Men's Roundtable. Is this better? Good. Good. Glad you're here. By boat or kayak or however you got here. The neatest one I've seen lately is the uh, guy that said he got pulled over by the Coast Guard recently driving for, got a ticket for not wearing a life preserver. No life vest. Water. On 49, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'll keep my day job. All right, guys. It is a tough crowd. Guys, I'm glad you're here. Um, you know, on mornings like today, it's easy just to roll over and stay in the bed another 30 <laughs> minutes or an hour, uh, depending on what your situation may be, and, and not come in here. But I'm glad you are here. I have found those mornings that are most challenging usually are the most rewarding. That uh, Phil has prepared something that just touched me in a way that I had not anticipated. We continue the series on the wilderness. Uh, those times that Phil's trying to convince us that are very difficult in life that uh, we're supposed to enjoy. That are hard to enjoy until you get on the backside of it and look over your shoulder. With that, let me ask for a show of hands. I'm going to embarrass you. John, you already volunteered. Let me come up with something. How many men in the room have a journal that they're working through? How many men in the room do not have a journal? Guys, I see it. I see it. Hold that thing up, dude. Hold it up. We see that journal. That's it. Right there. That's it. That's it. Guys, without the journal, journal, it's sometimes hard to remember the wilderness time you've been through. When you're writing it down, whether it's your anger, your fear, both, your love, your concern, your passion, whatever it may be, when you get to the other side of the wilderness or as you enter the wilderness in another season, you're able to look back and see how God prepared you for the journey. Uh, I shared with y'all earlier in the year, we had a new grandchild born in December and she spent the first two weeks of her life after four days being home in ICU. My daughter-in-law shared a little bit yesterday in a social media post about how God began to prepare her entering into that journey. In a scripture that was posted above the crib in the baby's room on Saturday night, she was reading that scripture of Psalms of how the angel's wings will protect you. And she had this feeling come over her of some kind of impending problem and she wasn't sure what it was. Two days later, they were in ICU, and uh, baby Emma was there for two weeks. It's interesting how God uses those times, and she shared last night that she will share more of what happened during that time period that she journaled and she kept up with. And I tell you, that's a humbling experience to see a daughter-in-law for me, somebody I'm very proud of, to have that walk with the Lord. Guys, we're thankful to be here. Let me open this word of prayer. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yes, 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 yes. Two things. Two things. First, the most impending thing is Saturday, work day at Deer Camp. Please, if you're able, sign up and let them know what you might be able to. Okay, let's go to the first responders. No, no, no. Look at the pictures. Let's go to the first responders. No. There we go. 
Thank you, Jeff. Thank you. That was the last responders. Okay, now we've got first responders up. First responders luncheon, two-gun tactical, monthly meeting. February 27th, next Thursday, no meeting in August. Okay, keep reading this. Thursday, February 27th, please take a flyer. If you know a first responder, provide it to them. We're trying to get the word out for all first responders in the metro area. That's an important meeting. The other one, Deer Camp. We move to that one now. Deer Camp. We've got a work weekend Saturday. It's a little different, but we're working in the spring at Deer Camp instead of working at the fall. We're preparing. We're getting ready for the fall. We've got other other campers that will be here. We've got a Deer Camp coming up. Uh, you've got scheduled later in the spring, though, actually. Yeah, okay. Guys, um, there's always work to be done at any Deer Camp, and it takes help. It takes volunteers, and what you may not think is going to be very much, just an hour or two is an hour or two more that Another man does not have to do. So if you can sign up, help out, uh, clean up with maintenance and other issues up there, that would be greatly appreciated. Uh, there is a contact of someone that's heading that up, and I don't remember who it is. Lynn Ware. Lynn Ware. And uh, I've sent out emails. Everybody should have an email. Check your email. If you do not have an email, please, let me <laughs> ask this. If you're not receiving emails, when you leave, if you would, please check your name where you sign in in the mornings. Check your email address and be sure it's correct. If it's not, please correct it so we can have you on the list in the event. For some reason, we don't have a meeting. You don't show up. Uh, you know, no one else is here. Uh, but it's a way for us to communicate with you and also for ceasefire to know who's in their building. If you would, please check that. Let me help us with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day. Lord, we thank you for Phil. We thank you for ceasefire. We thank you for the breakfast that's been provided. Lord, we ask that you use it to the nurse for our body and use us in your service. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Morning, gentlemen. Um, I have a song for you. Um, and I want to bring some energy uh, to the um, topic uh, this morning. Into the wilderness uh, certainly can be um, a very reflective time. Uh, a call to worship time, um, a meditative time, a time of solitude and silence, for sure. And that's oftentimes exactly what is needed uh, when we're in the wilderness. But there is also a, um, an aspect to the wilderness uh, that calls us to fight. And you have got to fight your way through it because the enemy is trying to take you out. Just as Joshua or I mean, uh, Joseph said to his brothers, what you guys intended for evil, God meant for good. And that which God will use for our good, the enemy will seek to use to our destruction. So which way will you go? When we're in the wilderness, we're always at the fork in the road. And you know what Yogi Berra said about the fork in the road? When you come to the fork in the road, take it. Think about it. So the idea here is um, that great gospel song by Rodney Atkins, If You're Going Through Hell. I've been down deep in that darkness. I've been down to my last match, felt a hundred different demons breathing fire down my back. And I knew that if I stumbled, I'd fall right into the trap that they were laying. But the good news is there's angels everywhere out on the street 
holding out a hand to pull you back on your feet. The ones that you've been dragging for so long, you're on your knees, might as well be praying. Guess what I'm saying? You got to keep walking. May you hear the voice of God and bring some energy and a fight to the wilderness. Those times when you feel like there's a sign there on your back Says I don't mind if you kick me Seems like everybody has Things go from bad to worse You think they can't get worse than that And then they do You step off the straight and narrow And you don't know where you are Use the needle of your compass To sew up your broken heart Ask directions from a genie in a bottle of Jim Beam And she lies to you that's when you learn the truth If you're going through hell Keep on going Don't slow down If you're scared, don't show it You might get out For the devil even knows you're there Well, I've been deep down in that darkness I've been down to my last match Filled a hundred different demons Breathing fire down my back and I knew that if I stumbled, I'd fall right into the trap that they were laying. Yeah. But the good news is there's angels everywhere out on the street. Holding out a hand to pull you back up on your feet. The ones that you've been dragging for so long, you're on your knees, you might as well be praying. Guess what I'm saying if you're going through hell? Keep on going, don't slow down. If you're scared, don't show it. You might get out, for the devil even knows you're there. Yeah, if you're going through hell, keep on moving, face that fire. Walk right through it, you might get out, for the devil even knows you're there. Keep on going, don't slow down. If you're scared, don't show it. You might get out, for the devil even knows you're there. Yeah, if you're going through hell, keep on moving, face that line. Walk right through it, you might get out, for the devil even knows you're there. Yeah, you might get out for the devil even knows you're there.
before we begin, I've, uh, I've got to tell you this story. Um, you know, the, the lightheartedness of that, the seriousness of, uh, of that, the need to bring some fight uh, to the game, uh, and also a little lightheartedness. Um, I love telling the story um, um, because it, it's so critical. Um, a mission agency did a study years ago. Some of you have heard me tell this story. And they did a study with missionaries on what was the one element that would most ensure longevity on the mission field. And so the survey came back and, um, you know, it wasn't prayer. Prayer is very important. It wasn't uh, Bible study. Bible study is very important. It wasn't leading more people to Jesus. Very important for a missionary. Um, lots of different uh, elements to ensuring longevity in a missionary's life. So the report came back and the report was sense of humor. If you lose your sense of humor as a missionary, you're burnout, you're toast, you need to pack up and come home. And laughter is important to our uh, journey, even in the wilderness. When you lose your sense of humor, and you can't laugh at yourself, and you're taking yourself and your circumstances way too serious, you need to pack up and come home. Be on the alert. Stand firm in your faith. Act like men. Be strong. Words from 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Into the wilderness, understanding and embracing the dark times of your life. We take this topic very serious. Um, as I've said throughout uh, our journey, um, I, I, in no way do I want to be disrespectful or minimize the pain that you're in or that you've gone through or that you're going to go through. It's real. It's real. And um, tacking a little Bible verse on it and spreading a little Jesus uh, pixie dust on it doesn't take care of it. And that's not what the Bible teaches. Uh, and that's what we're talking about this morning the fruit in the wilderness. So read with me our opening paragraph. Words translated as wilderness occur nearly 300 times in the Bible. Wilderness seasons are brutal, but God is powerfully at work in the wilderness seasons of our lives. The only question is, do we have eyes to see it? In order for God to give us the choice whether or not to trust Him, He must present us with a moment of crisis, and since he wants us to seek help from him, he brings us through the wilderness to remove all other help first. When, when, when we're in a wilderness season, it's easy to lose sight of God's protection, provision, and preparation. We might even wonder, how can I trust God's goodness when I'm in this desolate place? But remember Jesus. He went through the ultimate wilderness, the desolation and humiliation of dying under the curse of God. If that is the measure of God's love and commitment to us, then we can trust Him in our own wilderness uh, seasons. Let's journey together. Today we look at fruit in the wilderness. You know, have you ever walked out into a, uh, a field or a, a piece of ground and said, you can't grow nothing in this. You can't grow nothing out here, you know? And it's like, wow, 
you put a little fertilizer, um, a little water. I mean, my understanding of the of the soil that's many times in the desert is if you just put water in that soil, man, you can grow about anything. Um, but you've got to have resources. And there is fruit um, to be had in the wilderness. So I want you to pick up your pen. Let's go to work. Deliberately and intentionally engage with me. First, first question that I would ask you to respond to, what good comes from the wilderness? And I'd invite you to think about when you've been in the wilderness, as you reflect back on it, what good came from that? Uh, Carla and I just did our couples workshop uh, this past weekend. Um, it was great. Always a lot of fun. I always love doing them, and then I'm glad when it's over, <laughs> you know, because I'm exhausted. It's, uh, it's very uh, good. And I know Bert and several others were with us. It's just a great weekend. And one of the things that we talk about as couples is that in order to really have the intimacy in the relationship that we want, in our marriages, all blame and criticism must stop. It just needs to stop. Blame and criticism uh, is a regressive way of trying to survive. That's what children do. Daddy, you never let me. Daddy, you never let me. That's what children do. And so... In no way would I minimize what a spouse is doing or not doing that brings difficulty into the relationship or the circumstances that you're in relative to your wilderness experience. But the blame and criticism has got to stop. That is a childish way to handle it. So there, there's good to be had. Uh, and it's important that we identify that. And that's part of what we're talking about this morning. There's fruit in the wilderness. Can you see it? Can you see it? Second question, what resources do you have to walk through the wilderness? Resources. We talk about a little formula, R over R, around here a lot. R over R. Numerator, denominator. And what you always want is the top R um, is your responsibility. And the bottom R is your resources. Which number do you want to be the highest? You, you want to have a higher denominator than a numerator. So you want that uh, resource number to be a four, and you want that responsibility number to be a one or a two or a three. But it's important that you're able to identify your resources. And, and, and when you're going to get in trouble is when the wilderness responsibilities are greater than your resources. And when you're really going uh, through a wilderness experience, it's important that as you understand how severe the wilderness is, that you start increasing your resources. Broken arrow, broken arrow. Um, Thursday, I, I left to go back to Fairhope, as I always do, and I was very mindful of um, the floodwaters are coming. And of course, uh, I'm trying to resist not telling three jokes at this point, you know. Start, start, you know, the water's coming, the water's coming. 
Uh, so focus, focus. Um, but I was, I was, I was aware of course of the, of the waters coming and then, and then, uh, Friday morning getting ready to, uh, to do our couples workshop in, uh, Fairhope and, uh, George, uh, sends me an email from our good, um, uh, buddy, Todd Good, And Todd Good is one of our guys who, um, uh, is one of our, uh, Deer Camp alumni, uh, and, um, uh, Todd's house uh, is in the flood zone, and Todd is a bee farmer. He has beehives, and that's how he makes a living for the most part. And it already lost a number of his hives uh, to the water, and he was going to lose his house. And um, we sent out a uh, broken arrow, um, uh, which is our terminology that comes from the movie. Uh, uh, we were soldiers, broken arrow. Um, Mel Gibson walks out on the battlefield, Lieutenant uh, Colonel Hal Moore. <laughs> and says broken arrow and the uh, jet fighters come off of that aircraft carrier and they um, bomb uh, the Vietnamese soldiers and save um, the U.S. soldiers. So broken arrow was sent out and uh, I'm happy to report and very proud to report that many of you guys responded and we saved Todd's house. We saved Todd's house. And I know that that's been the case uh, with a lot of people in the community with the, with the floodwaters. Wilderness experience, responsibilities are increasing. Where's your resources? What if, what if Todd was like many men and Todd's sitting there watching the, the, the waters rise and, he, and, he, and he's saying to himself, man, I'm all alone. I don't know anybody. I don't, I don't know anybody, you know? Um, I don't have any friends. And that is the case with many men. What resources do you have? Um, I'm glad Todd had a whole bunch of resources. Third question. Who do you know that's in the wilderness now? Who do you know? Guys, there's, in, there's men in this room uh, that I know, uh, because I know many of your stories, that are going through the most difficult time of your life. This weekend um, in Fairhope, we'll have our men's coaching weekend, AKA fish camp for obvious reasons in Fairhope, call it fish camp in Fairhope. And I don't know all the guys that are signed up. I mean, there'll, there'll be guys there that I don't know uh, that have signed up already, but I know a number of the stories, stories like uh, divorce, betrayal, drug addiction, trying to reconcile with adult children that dads have been alienated from. We're going to hear a lot of wilderness stories this weekend uh, in our men's coaching weekend. It's real. I want you to turn to a partner and take just a couple minutes, and I want you just to uh, identify uh, who's going through the wilderness. And if that's you, let it be known. Um, be a good chance to share your wilderness experience and gain a resource from your new buddy uh, next to you. Take just a couple minutes, share that third question. <coughs> uh, All right, um, let's pull back together. And we shall continue. I trust as you... Um, made a new friend, that you have a little bit of a better idea um, 
that um, we're all going through the wilderness. As, um, as I've said before, Carla likes to use the illustration that everybody has gone through trauma. Everybody has gotten hit. Some people got hit by bicycles. Some people got hit by trucks. And some people got hit by trains. But everybody got hit. Uh, the wilderness is always relative. It's always somebody worser, uh, and it could be worser. But that's trying to deal with wilderness by quantifying it, that it could be worse, is not God's intent. It's like, look it in the eye. And it may be a bobcat or it may be a lion. Uh, either way, you're probably going to die. <laughs> you know, it's like you're going to get hurt. You know, I don't want to be in a cage with a bobcat any more than I want to be in a cage with a lion. It's going to hurt. So let's start out kind of at the beginning. <clears throat> Into the wilderness. Why, why did God lead the children of Israel through the wilderness? You know, obviously, when he brought them out of Egypt um, and uh, Charlton Heston parted the waters, uh, you know, obviously, God was capable of doing anything at that point. You know, I mean, goodness, he could have put them on a magic carpet and uh, put them in Jerusalem. But he had um, a goal in mind, and one of the goals was per to prevent them from returning to bondage. He had to build into them some resilience. They had no resilience. We would call them uh, whiny babies. They were just whiny babies. Ever met a whiny baby? Ever been a whiny baby? I want you to look at Exodus chapter 13. Exodus 13 says this, it so happened that after Pharaoh released the people, God didn't lead them by the road through the land of the Philistines, which was the shortest route. Now, there's a part of me, like when I read that, I'm like, if I was an Israelite, I'm thinking, really? You mean, Moses, there, there's a shortcut over here. No, 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 wrong way, Rudy. It was the shortest route by the land of the Philistines, for God thought if the people encounter war, they'll change their minds and go back to Egypt. In other words, if you have a junior high football team and you put them on the field with the University of Alabama, I started to say the University of Tennessee, but you guys are giving me way too much grief at that point. I'm not going to set myself up for that, okay? So I'll use Alabama just to be safe. And it's just like, would those little junior high football players ever play football again? Probably not. You know, I think I'll join the band. I like baseball, mama. You know, I want to be a basketball player. I'm not playing football. It's like you don't put the junior high football team against the University of Alabama. And that was basically what God knew. If I, if I take them through the land of the Philistines, yeah, it's a shorter way, 
But they get in a couple of skirmishes up there, and the Philistines kick their butt, and they're going to run back to Egypt. So God led the people on the wilderness road, looping around to the Red Sea. The Israelites left Egypt in military formation, marching. Now let me show you a map of, of what this actually looks like. The land of the Philistines, this is, this is kind of where the um, Israelites left Egypt. If you go up that northern border around the Mediterranean Sea, uh, that was the land of the Philistines, and that was uh, about a, an 11-day trip. And I'm sure it was beautiful. I mean, <laughs> you know, what, what would be not to love about walking along the Mediterranean Sea for 11 days? That's like a walk in the park until you run into a Philistine, and then, you know, you got to kill a couple of people and all that. But they would have thought they could handle that because it's shorter. No, they'd have gotten their butts kicked. So what God knew, not only because they weren't equipped and weren't ready um, uh, for war, but they weren't emotionally and spiritually ready. And so what he does is he takes them across the Red Sea, which is um, uh, around what is known as this lake right here now, Timorish. Um, and they came down all the way down uh, the Sinai Peninsula, and they wandered around for 40 years in this wilderness that could have just taken them 11 days. Come on, God. Are you just messing with us? No. I'm just assessing the situation for what it is, and I'm going to build something into you. The end result is not always the goal. It's the process. An 11-day journey or a 40-year journey? How long does it take to build character into you? Now, there's a question. How long does it take to build character? I, you know, I'm still trying to get character. You know, I saw it run by my house one day. You know, I want to catch that sucker, you know. But what God wants to do in the wilderness and wanted to do with the Israelites is to attack our false self. The Israelites took 40 years to travel an 11-day journey. They saw many miracles, um, but I mean, it just didn't seem to register. Now, I want you to turn over to Ezekiel. Ezekiel um, chapter 2, years later, God tells Ezekiel the prophet to go and, and speak to his people, and he just remembers how Israel has always been and reminds Ezekiel of that. Ezekiel chapter 2, you know, that's over there in the clean part of your Bible. Probably hadn't been in Ezekiel in a while. Uh, it said, son of man, stand up. I have something to say to you. The moment I heard the voice, the Spirit entered me and put me on my feet. And as he spoke to me, I listened. I listened to the voice of God. He said, Son of man, I'm sending you to the family of Israel, a rebellious nation if there ever was one. They and their ancestors have fomented rebellion right up to the present. They're a hard case. These people to whom I'm sending you, hardened in their sin. Tell them, this is the message of God, the Master. They are a defiant bunch. Whether or not they listen, at least they'll know that a prophet's been here. 
But don't be afraid of them, son of man, and don't be afraid of anything they say. Don't be afraid when living among them is like stepping on thorns or finding scorpions in your bed. Now, dude, that's a metaphor. It's like, really, God? You know, you want me to go and it's going to be like stepping on thorns or sleeping with scorpions? Don't be afraid of their mean words, their hard looks. They're a bunch of rebels. Your job is to speak to them. And then, and then you ought to underline this part right here. Whether they listen is not your concern. If you're a guy who writes in his Bible, what you ought to write in your Bible at that point is faithfulness. Just be faithful. Just go to work every day. It's not about the end result necessarily. Sometimes, you know, why do you shovel sand? I mean, I mean, it's like being in the army, like some of you guys have been in the military. I wish I'd been in the military. Um, but, you know, I've heard stories about some senior officer telling you to dig a hole. You dig a hole, and then what do you do after you dig the hole? You fill it back in. Now, what was the point of that? You know, it's like the end result is not so much the point in terms of visual um, conclusion, but it's what happens inside of you. It's the building of character. They're hardened rebels. He finishes off that passage. They're hardened rebels. We have to attack our false self. You know what your false self is? It's that part of you that you've developed to make life work. And Jesus said later on in the Gospels, he says, you must die. Now, he was not talking about everybody line up on the Tallahatchie Bridge and jump off. Uh-uh. That would be the Mississippi version of that passage. What he's saying there is that which you create, that which is not of faith, has got to be stopped. And we call that in psychobabble our false self. But the Bible calls it the flesh, calls it the old man. That's got to stop. That Those old ways have got to stop. And he was trying to develop in the Israelites, his people, a new way of living. And part of what he wanted to develop was faithfulness. Can we get these guys to be faithful? Faithful. They just follow me. Yeah, we can, we can get from point A to point B in 11 days. That's not a problem. 11 days. But man, it's going to take 40 years to build faithfulness into my people. Look over at Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, and, and Galatians 5 is one of those chapters in the Bible that I would say that um, you need to know, you need to memorize. I mean, it would be on, in, in my mind, in the top five passages um, or uh, chapters in all of Scripture. It's such a summary of what life is intended to be. Galatians chapter 5. Um, verse 16, my counsel is this, live freely, animated, and motivated by God's Spirit. Then you won't feed the compulsions of selfishness, for there is a root of sinful self-interest in us that is at odds with the free spirit, just as the free spirit is incompatible with selfishness. These two ways of life are contrary to each other so that you cannot live at times one way and at times another way according to how you feel on any given day. 
Why don't you choose to be led by the Spirit and so escape the erratic compulsions of a law-dominated existence? Now, to, to put that in a little bit clearer language, what he's drawing attention to is your true self, which is the self that God created, and your false self. And he's saying that your false self is governed by your compulsions and your um, uh, desire to control. Stop the compulsions, stop the, the uh, control, and start trusting or be relational relative to God and those around you. All healing is relational. All uh, growth is about connection. And he's saying it's not about you being compulsive, and it's not about you trying to control. You've got to trust. And as you trust, the spirit, your spiritual self, dominates. It is obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. Now listen to this list. Now again, keep in mind that he's writing to these Christians at Galatia. Some people think, oh, th these are the non-believers. These are the pagans. No, these are the Sunday school teachers. You know, these are the guys who lead men's roundtable. You know, these are the Christians that he's writing to. And he says, um, repetitive, loveless, cheap sex, a stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage, frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness, trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied wants, a brutal temper and impotence to love or be loved, divided homes and divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community. I could go on. Welcome to church. Welcome to church. That's what you and I are when we sit in the pew. It's like, hello, my name is Phil, <coughs> and I am broken as a left-handed soup sandwich. I'm here. This isn't the first time I've warned you. You know, if, if you use your freedom this way, you will not inherit God's kingdom. But what happens? Now listen to this. But what happens when we live God's way? He brings gifts into our lives. And, and I would say in Ephesians 4, he, says, he talks about he brings gifted people into our lives as well to help us. Much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard, things like affection for others, exuberance about life, serenity. We develop a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion in the heart, and a conviction that a basic holiness permeates things and people. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way in life, able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. Legalism is helpless in bringing this about. It only gets in the way. Among those who belong to Christ, everything connected with getting our own way and mindlessly responding to what everyone else calls necessities is killed off for good, crucified. Guys, please, please make it a priority to at some point sit down with your journal and rewrite that passage in first-person pronoun. I. When I... When I am involved in my own compulsions, in my own desire to control, which, by the way, is the very definition of what makes addiction addiction, it is the illusion that I can control everything. 
the the object of your addiction is not nearly the problem that that's just you know that's <laughs> that's just the random choice drugs sex rock and roll but what makes addiction addiction is the illusion that you can control and deny your feelings and you can control everything and that you surrender to a less than adequate god and that's addiction and so rewrite this passage because it is wilderness experiences, hard times, 40-year journeys that God takes us on rather than an 11-day sprint to build the kind of character into us that he's intended all along. Yeah, you can grow stuff in the desert if you give it enough water. There's fruit in the wilderness. Now I want to show you a, a clip we've been using uh, our band of brothers in, in Easy Company as our case study. And um, this is um, several days after D-Day. And by the way, June 6, 1944, more than 3,000 ships, 10,000 planes, and 13,000 paratroopers assaulted the Nazis. And by the end of D-Day, 2,500 Allied soldiers were killed but 150,000 safely came ashore. What I'm going to show you is several days after D-Day, Easy Company is involved in taking, seeking to take the, town, the French town of Keratin. And, and they are faced with these tanks that the Germans had built that was kind of like our tanks and their tanks was like David and Goliath. They were much smaller. Um, and they're in a fight. They are in the wilderness. I mean, this is a metaphor for what it's like for us when we're going through the wilderness. It is hard. Did you think it was going to be easy? This is what the wilderness looks like in a certain sense. Rounds complete! Skip! More ammo! Go! Go! My way! Second armors. Time. 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 Time.
Are you okay? Looks like you fellas had a heck of a fight. Thank you, God, for the 18, 19, 20, 21 year old dads and grandfathers uh, that fought so you and I could be here today. 
what's the point? What's God doing? It is hard. It is messy. It's a challenge. Just quickly, I want to finish off. Last week I mentioned there's four types of suffering. And you can jot this down if you didn't get it the other day. There's self-inflicted. I'm, I'm responsible. I was stupid. I was foolish. There's others that betray us. Uh, I'm, I'm suffering because of something that somebody else did. And then there's just loss. There's just the death uh, loss that we experience, grieving. Um, and then there's the kind of um, suffering that Job was involved in. It just seems to be a mystery. It just comes from nowhere. There seems to be no reason or rhyme. What's God's intent? The fruit. First of all, God wants us to embrace it. With this, to embrace the pain. Um, what's the point of it? Is to go through it. What's the point? Is that God, without apology, uses pain. First Peter chapter four, one and two, that is our theme passage that we read on our on our first session in the series is the idea is that we're going to suffer. God's going to use difficult times without apology to grow us. And then, and then secondly, there's, there's the fruit of just being able to walk, walk through it, keep walking, keep walking. When I was 14 years old, I took my first Boy Scout hike on the Appalachian Trail. I was fortunate enough to grow up in East Tennessee. And I mean, Appalachian Trail, backyard. <laughs> Where's the Appalachian Trail, Mama? Right up there. You know, I didn't, we didn't have to travel two days to get to the Appalachian Trail. That was it. And so all of my camping trips as a Boy Scout was on the Appalachian Trail. And, and I remember my first camping trip was an Appalachian Trail hike. And we hiked about two miles into the woods first night. And on Saturday, I hiked 12 miles. Dude, when I hiked 12 miles on the Appalachian Trail as a 14-year-old, I felt like Superman. I didn't think I could do it. We killed a rattlesnake about halfway down the trail. Dude, that was like cool. You know, walk. You got to walk. And it's the idea that God wants us to make progress that he is involved in building something, not just creating something. That's what he did with creation. Ex nihilo is the Hebrew term uh, that means that he created the world out of nothing. He spoke it. But he doesn't do that with you and me. He creates mature men by them making progress. He builds us like soldiers. And what Scripture uses as a metaphor is floods and fires, floods and fires. And in our community here in Jackson, we've been confronted with floods. And as I mentioned, the family in Clinton, fire. Whole family except for dad wiped out. And we continue to pray for the Purvis family. God is so much interested in building character than he is in your comfort. And that is so hard because when we're into our addictions, we're all about comfort. <laughs> I just want the pain to stop. Right? And God says, man, I want you to be a man. I want you to be a woman. I want you to grow up with some character. 
I can trust a man with character. And then finally, it's just this idea of faith. God is wanting to grow a faithful community. I just want you to trust me because this is about an intimate relationship, not about being religious. It's about intimacy. And there is no intimacy without trust. And he says, I just want you to trust me. Just want you to trust me. And when you're in the middle middle of the wilderness, and when I'm in the wilderness, um, we need men around us that'll keep pointing us to God. Who do your friends point you toward? A beer? Another golf game? You know, let's just go fishing. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. But if that's the end goal, you've missed the point. You know what the end goal is? God. God. Jesus. Intimate connection with the one who loves us most. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for helping us to understand your mysterious ways. We still don't get it. We're still struggling. But Father, thank you for the perspective that you give us in your word and you've given us this morning. Help us to understand not only how to reach out for the resources that you give us, but to be a resource. And thank you for the fruit that you have produced in my life, in in my brother's life in this room. I've seen men's lives changed as they've trusted you. You are a wonderful God. We love you. And thanks for our time this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week.